You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hi there, and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 62 for Monday, the 8th of May, 2017. My guest today is Jason Blacker, who writes mystery fiction and literary fiction, as well as poetry and daily haikus at his haiku blog. His stories range from adventure to zombies, though he's best known for his Lady Marmalade cozy mysteries and his Anthony Carrick hard-boiled mysteries. Jason received an incredible 300 rejections from traditional publishers before turning to self-publishing, where he deploys lots of online marketing techniques to promote his work. Here's Jason talking about how art led to him becoming a writer. For me, I think the creative endeavors have always been intertwined to some degree. Um, you know, I've always been... I think, you know, before you can write, you draw, right? And so for me, that's what I started with. And I've always, they've always been merged in, in a way. I haven't been able to, um, I guess, split them apart in a sense. So, you know, I remember getting, uh, you know, one of my first pieces of encouragement uh, when I was maybe 11 or 12 in uh, primary school um, from a teacher where I wrote a poem um, about a man looking in the mirror and sort of talking about himself. And, you know, the, the, the first part of the poem was written normally, and then the second, uh, the second part was mirrored image of that. So it was written um, in, uh, backwards. So you would have to put the poem up to the mirror in order to read it uh, the same way. Um, and so that was one of my first uh, bits, uh, which happened a long time ago. And then, you know, during during university, after I had just gone through art school for for a couple of years, um, I went into creative writing and got some some more encouragement there. So, yeah, for me, um, you know, I think I might have continued on with art in in, in a more specific way if I had chosen a different. Uh, um, specialization. I, I went into photography and I think I should have gone into more fine art or painting. And so that's sort of what happened to sort of veered off into into writing. So to make a long story short, I think, you know, even to today, I find the two intertwined. You know, you're either painting with uh, real colors or you're painting with words, right? I, I think they're both very intermingled for me. One of the things I found fascinating about you, and this is not applied to any of the authors that I've interviewed so far to date, is you, you have this lovely haiku site that you, you constantly write on. Is that what came from that sort of love of poetry, the early love of poetry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I started off, um, you know, my writing generally, I like to think Paul is very um, painterly, if I can say that. Uh, I started off as a uh, uh, a literary writer, and in many ways, even my my current works, mysteries, and that I find I find are are tinged with that sort of literariness. Um, so, yeah, I started off as a poet again because I like to. For, for me, I'm very visual. Obviously, having an artistic background, uh, drawing and painting, um, and so I started off with poetry's because uh, poet 
poetry has always been very important in my life. Uh, one of my favorite poets is the, the great Welshman, uh, Dylan Thomas. Um, I have a soft spot for the Welsh. My father's Welsh, as incidentally. Um, so, I, you know, poetry has always spoken to me in a very deep and personal level. And so I, I sort of came from poetry first, as I mentioned that earlier story, um, and then into into painting and then into sort of more prose. Um, and so I like the idea of being able to try and capture a moment or a feeling in, in very few lines. And then when I sort of learned about haikus, sort of the Japanese uh, poetry uh, style, um, you know, probably in my late teens, early 20s, um, I really liked the idea of that sort of, um, uh, sort of concentrated form of poetry. And so that's what I've sort of been focusing on. You'll find some of my longer, longer verse poems there as well. But, uh, yeah, every, every day or so I try to, to put up a little haiku. You are also the only author who's got as many books published, I think, so far. When I when I go to your Amazon author page and flick the arrows, you, usually at best you get two flicks of the arrow. For you, though, it just keeps going on, the list of titles. Absolutely incredible, the amount of work that you've published. Did you go straight into self-publishing, or, or have you had experiences with traditional publishing beforehand? Yeah, that, thank you, Paul. It's kind of you to say yeah, I have written a lot, Um and to this day, I'll be honest with you, I'm astonished at my lack of success for the amount of work I put into it. Um, and yet I keep going because it's sort of something that is, I'm just a passion, passionate about. I'll continue to do it whether I make a living from it or not. Um, I've been writing. I started writing in earnest, I would say, about 21 years ago when my son was born. And I, I wrote my novel, Dust on His Soul, which was sort of my attempt, it was a literary novel, it is a literary novel, it was my attempt to try and understand the madness of apartheid once I had left and been in Canada, which is, which is where I am now, for, for a year or two. So um, I started then, and, um, you know, so tw 21 years ago, of course, self-publishing wasn't really something that was as applicable today as it was I mean, as applicable as it is today as it was then, because, you know, back then you either had to just do paper, paperback copies and, and, and um, sell them out of the boot of your car, which I wasn't really uh, interested in doing. So um, I, I, I went through the process of uh, traditional publishing and, and reaching out to them and agents and that. And I stopped counting when I received 300 rejection letters. Um, and that sort of put a little bit of a, kibosh i think on, on some ways in my enthusiasm so you know my, my writing slowed down i was probably only writing um or, or publishing or finishing a story i should say it wasn't even publishing then you know probably every few years up until you know recently the kindle self-publishing revolution happened which i think has been an absolute godsend obviously for a lot of authors uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's basically the journey so far. I just, yeah, I've got to dig into that. Sorry, when you said 300 rejection letters, that's that's literally 300 rejection letters, is it? Uh, that's literally 300, and I probably even still have those uh, 300, or at least a good good chunk of them. Um, you know, uh, yeah, 300, I, I, I counted, because then it became a game after, you know, the first one or two, uh, you know, you get the, the package back in the mail or at least the, the letter back in the mail saying, um, you know, thanks, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, and, and you continue to get disheartened. So you, you have to 
become a little bit more uh, thick-skinned about it. And, and after a dozen or 20 or 30, it became a game to see how many I could collect then at that point. Um, and so I did. Yeah. And then after around 300, I sort of lost, lost my enthusiasm because at that point I had sort of um, reached out several times to to the same publishers. I mean, this is this is all over the map, right? So this was in, uh, I reached out to publishers uh, in probably in Australia, uh, Europe for certain, uh, mostly North America, of course, agents, as well as uh, short story magazines. Um, so it includes all the possibilities that one could publish, uh, you know, fiction at. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so I, 300 and, and, and some of those, uh, were, were unkind as of course, you know, most authors receive occasionally. I think, I think they've, I think traditional publishers have become a little bit more perhaps sympathetic nowadays, but there were a couple of unkind ones there basically telling me to, uh, not to, not to waste my time and, and theirs with, uh, the drivel that I was, I was sending their way. Wow. And, and, and so what, what? Did you learn anything from that rejection process? Other than getting incredible resilience, did did you pick up anything useful or constructive that helped you with your writing? No, no, I didn't actually. To be honest with you, um, most of the time they don't. At least in my experience, and I have heard experiences of of authors getting, uh, you know enthusiastic responses with some real tidbits about how to maybe change this or that and then try and resubmit. I, I never received anything like that because um, I'm not sure, thinking back now, if I ever had the opportunity to, to send in the, the full, um, uh, or, or should I say, did I get the full manuscript read, I should say. Um, so I didn't really get any sort of information that I might have been able to take take back to the writing desk, if you will, to to improve upon the craft. Um, you know, and it's and and what what I did learn, I guess, from from some of the harsher critics was that, you know, all art is 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 subjective. Um, and so just because one has an idea about how something should be improved by a writer or a, or a painter or a, a, you know, anyone else, a musician for that, for that matter, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the, the correct uh, approach. So you know, writing is such, a, such an interesting topic or creative endeavor because you're, you're, never, you're never sure of what the right – approaches you know i mean some of the best writers for example don't write uh, grammatically perfect and i think there's something to be said for um grammatically perfect prose being somewhat staid and and lacking luster if i can say that so i think the i, I think the thing i got from it was to stay true to one's own muse if, if you will and that you know by practice one gets better uh, unless you're an absolute idiot and have no idea of, of grammar and sentence structure, I think there's very little that can be garnered from uh, outside critics that uh, is, is useful. At least that's my, uh, that's my uh, take at this stage. So by the time independent authoring took off, you must have had a, a fairly reasonable back catalogue by that stage. When did you jump on board and start to publish your books? Um. Well, it's been it's been a while. I think two, 2007 I started. Um, I believe that uh, Kindle's been around at about 10 years now. I think probably. 
Um, I, because I, I, I keep, I keep detailed notes. And so I know from 2007, for example, I have notes of my writing, um, at that point where I think that was the first time I had published uh, dust on his dust on his soul, um, was uh, 2007. So I think, you know, 2007 started the first one. And, uh, from there, um, you know, the early years maybe was, uh, one or two, one or two titles a year. Around 2013, I really upped the the um, the production schedule, and you know, I was I was trying to find my way. Um, I knew what I wanted to write. I knew what I liked. So, for example, uh, Raymond Raymond Chandler and uh, Dashiell Hammett, uh, some of my favorite writers ever. So, I knew I really liked the mysteries. Agatha Christie as well, of course. Um, but I thought. Let's try a whole bunch of different genres to see if anything takes off, right? So at the time, you know, um, some of my other works that, that aren't on my author page because I wrote them under a pen name, for example, uh, include Erotica, which I absolutely hated writing. But I thought, you know, that was supposed to be a, a, an easy sell, right? Erotica was the, the big, um, you know, the big gold rush at the time. Yeah, so yeah. I, I wrote, wrote a bunch of eroticas, which I hated. They never took off. So I quit that. Uh, and then I spread myself across um, science fiction. And then I went into vampire fiction and uh, mysteries, uh, particularly writing up short stories at the time, just to see if I could get some nibbles and to give me a sense of where I should go, where the readers were interested in. And um, never really, you know, as I said, I haven't had the success that I was hoping for at the, uh, at the moment. Um, so the nibbles I got were small uh, and infrequent. And so I figured, you know what, I'll focus on exactly what I want to write about, which it happened to be mysteries. And, and incidentally, they certainly sell the most of, but perhaps that's because I'm uh, usually writing and publishing them more often. And you've got some interesting world influences because you said that you, your father was from, from Wales. Uh, yes. You were born and brought up in South Africa and now you're living in Canada, did you say? That's correct, yeah. And yet your 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 books, uh, your series, uh, the Lady Marmalade series and the Anthony Carrick series, they feel very English to me. Oh, that's cool. That's cool to know because um, – Anthony Carrick cert certainly is supposed to be, um, you know, an American hard-boiled detective. Um, but I guess you can't take the, the author out of the fiction, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think, was it uh, Fellini who said that, that, that all art is autobiographical, right? And I think there's something to that. Um, Lady Marmalade certainly, of course, is, is supposed to be quite British. Um, uh, and so, you know, I'm cheating a little bit because unlike you, Paul, I haven't lived um, uh, on the island, on the Emerald Isle. Uh, at, at all, really. I visited, but my my mother's a Liverpudlian, and she met my father in South Africa as a young adult. So I was born and raised in South Africa under a sort of, I guess, British influence, uh, part of the Commonwealth, and my parents having having been uh, born born and bred in Britain. Um, and so my 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 history, if you will, goes goes back to England and specifically Ireland. Um, and then we moved to, to Canada, which is also part of the Commonwealth. So I guess I have an affinity with the Commonwealth in a broader sense. Um, Anthony Carrick, uh, that, you know, I mean, it's neat that you say he's uh, sort of sounds, well, at least the, 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 the series sort of seems quite British. I mean, I'll, I'll take that. Um, you know, but I think there's something to be said for a, for a British 
uh, feeling hard-boiled detective that's uh, based in America, right? Um, and, you know, incidentally, Anthony Carrick um, uh, was, was, um, was sort of named after my father anyway. So there's certainly that, uh, and, and he himself, the character himself, uh, has his background in Ireland as well. You said that you tried uh, a lot of different genres. I think you've written about zombies and adventures. You tried literary fiction, but you seem to have found your level with, with the mysteries. You seem to have found your groove now. Is that is that true to say? It's very true to say. Uh, you know, I like science fiction and I like, um, uh, you know, vampire, uh, vampire uh, stories more so than zombies. Um, and I think, you know, I, I could go back to my vampires and sci-fi at any time because those are those are the genres I enjoy too, but I'm sort of trying to write a little bit more to market. Um, the, the genres I enjoy writing are sci-fi, mystery, of course, uh, both cozy and, and hard-boiled, and, um, and, and the vampire fiction in the sense of the characters I've developed in my The Misgivings of uh, the Vampire Lucius Lafayette, which is my vampire series. And that one uh, is a very unique take on on the vampire genre, I think. And you know, readers have said this said as much as well. And it has sort of a sci-fi bent to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I usually try and write um, an Anthony Carrick mystery followed by Lady Marmalade. Then often I'll take a break and write either a literary novel or, or something sci-fi, uh, and then go back sort of do it that way. Uh, but definitely, I think mysteries are certainly going to be my my bread and butter, if you will. And then in terms of your sort of writing process, how, how uh, long are the books? Do you have a, a formula as there in a series? Um, I don't have a formula per se. As I said, I can't come from a literary background. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm more, I, to me, I'm more focused on the characters and their stories, their development than perhaps the plot. Um, now, does that make me a great mystery writer or not? I'm, I'm not sure. I think, I think it helps. Because generally, as I write, I don't know the the ending. Um, you know, oftentimes, even halfway through the story, I, I don't know who's done it. Um, and so I think, I hope that that gives the reader uh, less of an ability to figure out who's done it, if, you know, if the writer doesn't even at that point. So um, I aim for 50,000. Obviously, 50,000 is just a number I, I stick in my head say I'm going to go for 50,000 but uh, you know very seldom write that little usually 60 to 70 in that range is where they end up but I know we have a variety of people listening to this podcast and you used the terms just a moment or two ago a cozy murder and a hard-boiled murder can you just explain what those terms mean and what sort of um, you know archetypes you're putting into uh, mysteries like that well, I think you know from my understanding. I'll give you. I'll give you my. Um, I guess my idea of what the difference is. Cozy murder mysteries are sort of mysteries. Uh, classic cases: Agatha Christie, of course. Uh, Dorothy L. Sayers does it as well. Um, they're sort of more of the puzzle than the violence of the crime itself. So it's the uncovering of why somebody was was murdered, and the murder itself is 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 usually uh, or oftentimes not uh, extremely violent. And if it is, it's not described as such. Um, you know, so it's sort of a more of a, of a G-rated murder mystery, if you will. Um, and and it's sort of about the detective or the sleuth trying to uncover the puzzle of the mystery. Uh, so it's more of a puzzle-based mystery, in my opinion. A hard-boiled. 
Murder mystery is um, a little bit rougher around the edges. Um, the characters, I think, are a little bit, uh, a little bit harder. Um, you know, the the classic, of course, in 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 my mind, is Dashiell Hammett uh, or, or Raymond Chandler. You know, Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade. Um, their characters. That's that, that that was their characters. Philip Marlowe was uh, Dashiell Hammett, I believe, and and uh, Sam Spade was Raymond Chandler's character, or it could be vice versa. I might be mixing them up, but um, they're hard drinking, um, tough talking, private eyes who you know use a little bit more of uh, knuckle sandwiches than necessarily um, investigative techniques or puzzle-based mysteries in trying to uncover the murderer. So it's definitely more hands-on. Uh, the murders can oftentimes be more violent and are uh, usually described as such too. How do you find writing in series? This is something I've personally resisted at the moment because I, I always worry about getting you know caught with something and wanting to get out of it. Um, do you find that okay? Does it work for you? It works for me, yeah, it does, Paul, because um, I like the character. I think that's that's the, the key, and I keep coming back to this because for me, you know, uh, perhaps from this literary background where, uh, you know, literary fiction generally, um, in my opinion, is more about the human experience. So for me, it's always about the human experience, and, and these characters, um, you know, Anthony Carrick and um, uh, Lady Marmalade are, 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 are great characters I like writing about. So, for example, Lady Marmalade was sort of, um, an amalgamation of um, Anthony uh, Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, Miss Marple, excuse me, but formed with um, my two grandmothers, my my deceased grandmothers in mind. So you know, every time I sit down to write about her, it's sort of uh, an opportunity to remember my grandmothers in some way. Uh, Anthony Carrick, of course, I just love that hard-boiled type of character. You know, someone who's not afraid of violence, who can certainly handle themselves well. Uh, very different to myself, of course. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not much of a fighter at all. Um, so, but the character is so enjoyable. It's, a, it's an escapism for me to, to write about someone who perhaps is an alter ego. I like to think. And what does writing look like for you? Are you, are you able to do it full time, or do you have a, a day job and have to balance life? Um, I don't have a day job. Uh, but as mentioned, I'm not making a living from this, so I am certainly currently looking. We're going through a bit of a difficult period here in North America, as, as perhaps you're, you you might be aware of with the, the economy recently. took a bit of a dive there in the last few years. Um, so I'm certainly looking for work. Uh, so at the moment, I have the luxury of, of working on this full-time, but it's not paying the bills full-time. So I'm trying to develop a schedule that allow me to continue this process once I have found work. And so when you do write, then, what do you, do you have a word count? Um, you know, what kind of targets do you set yourselves with the book? Or, or do they just kind of flow easy? Uh, you know, it depends on the day, of course, Paul. You know, uh, sometimes I sit down and it's like, what the hell am I going to do now? Right? Where am I going? What is the story? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit stuck in it. I don't know if it's any good. Uh, you know, you sit down to, a, at least I do, I sit down to an idea for an anti-caric novel, for example, because I'm currently writing uh, the fifth uh, upcoming anti-caric novel. Um, and so I sit down with a great idea and I start plodding along and, uh, you know, I think it's it's shite. I don't know if I could say that, but um, <laughs> I did anyway. I, I did say. <laughs> I think you've just expressed what so many authors feel there when they're looking at their work, you know. <laughs> well done. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're too close to it. It's, the, it's, it's too hard to, to tell. So, you know, we slog along and, and some days it goes well, some days it doesn't. But uh, I, generally, I generally set myself a minimum of... Um, an hour a day 
because um, I find that that's uh, manageable. Sometimes I go longer for two hours a day, but I do it on the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Pomodoro technique. I am, so yes. I, I set the, uh, I set the timer for 25 minutes and I just, I just go. Uh, and then when the bell, when the bell goes off, I even grab myself another cup of coffee and then I'll set it again for another 25 minutes. And, and then depending on how I feel, I'll continue on. But, um, usually, usually an hour for the writing. Then of course, you know, there's, there's, uh, editing and all those sorts of things that, that happen afterwards as well. Are there any uh, special tools that you use to make the writing process easier for you? Yeah, I use Scrivener. Um, I have for the last several novels. Um, I, I like it. I, I like the, but I use it very minimally. I like it because I can then uh, process it into an EPUB and a Mobi uh, at the end of the day. I generally use just a numbers spreadsheet. It's kind of like um, Apple's uh, Excel spreadsheet where I keep I can't try and keep tabs of, uh, of what the characters are, what they're about, short descriptions, and then um, uh, chapter uh, descriptions as well. Um, quite briefly just to keep me on, on task. And now, of course, that I'm writing these series, I'm, I'm having to try and fill in information about ongoing characters and, and things that I'm learning about the characters as they go so that I don't keep messing these things up, which I probably have from, uh, from novel to novel. Yeah, Scrivener is fantastic. And I know from our, our chat before we started recording the interview that you're a, a Mac user. Have you discovered Vellum yet, the beautiful Vellum? I have, and it looks absolutely magnificent, and I and I want to buy it. I'm um, I'm a proponent of uh, of a one time purchase for software generally, uh, Paul. So um, rather than uh, you know software as a service, um, because you know you one can get carried away that way. So I like to buy my software outright, and uh, I know Vellum is gorgeous, but I think it's about two hundred bucks uh, for an outright purchase, which is beyond my pay grade at the moment but it's certainly something i have to have an eye on have you used it can you speak to it uh yeah i i um I, I, can you take a trial i can't remember I, I i i bought it outright i don't have a mac though so i before i could buy it i had to figure out i use a virtual mac on my pc um i've done a, a feature on it on my blog because I, I just think it's important for so many people to know that you can use it on a pc um but yeah i don't i don't actually like macs um i gave mine to my wife so oh, is that uh, right yeah i hate the things yeah so so uh, <laughs> but i love vellum i vellum is 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 the best thing that's happened. You know, like Scrivener is so game-changing when you've used yeah. Word. Well, the, yeah. Vellum is the same because I have a little bit of technical experience. You know, I, I used to format my books in HTML um, so I could get them just right. Well, first time I oh, tried wow. Vellum, it is just wonderful. It's like it reads your mind and creates your book. It's, it's an incredible bit of software. They've done a fabulous job. So, you know, when you do come to that purchase, don't, don't hesitate about it because it will change your life. Well, that's good to know. Thanks very much, Paul. Yeah, and uh, Vellum is is strictly for the publishing uh, of the of the novel once it's written, right? It's to create that beautiful uh, published ebook or paperback. In eh? you can write into it if you want to. I wouldn't write into it having used Scrivener. What I tend to do is write in Scrivener. I export to a doc, just a simple doc file. And to be honest with you, it can be pretty rough. You know, it, and and this is what's so amazing about Vellum is that Vellum will do all the indents correctly. It detects all the chapters. It creates your um, you know, your index for you, all these things that take a lot of fiddling around to get all the spacing of the paragraphs right. I, I just don't know how it does it. It just, you know, sorts it out and makes it look beautiful. Um, it's yeah, it's brilliant, great. eh? Yeah, it is. It really is worth getting. And, I, I mean, you've done a lot of books now. And, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm betting you've had your 
share of headaches with your formatting, haven't you, over the years? Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, every time it's a it's a headache. I mean, a scrivener can be pretty good with it, but it's like every time I, I, I do it, I come around to publishing another book every two or three months, and it's I'm having to remember what I did before my my sort of um, my process, and it's it's always a headache. So it takes me way longer than 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 it should otherwise. So I'll, I'll definitely investigate Bellum as soon as I have. Um, some some free money because it sounds like exactly what I would I would like. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. It's what it's like Scrivener. It's one of those I think you know essential things that that every author needs to use to just make their life easier. And when you're doing it at the scale of you you, you and I are doing it, where we're you know we're serious about it, we're knocking these things out. I think the more time you know you can save with these jobs that have to be done every time, you know, it makes you more efficient as an author. I think when you're running a business, which is what we're trying to do. Exactly. So, hey, listen, Paul, just on a, on a side note real quick, um, what, what is it about Mac that you're not that crazy about? I'm just curious. <laughs> well, do you know what? They, I probably wouldn't get on so bad with them nowadays, but when I when I bought my MacBook Pro, I was doing a lot of software. So I use Dreamweaver and, and Photoshop and things like mm. that, and I use a software called Camtasia because I was recording a lot of um, screen share videos. I do a lot of teaching and, and, and teaching materials. And um, so I had to change all my softwares to Mac versions, and I, I didn't like the Mac versions, and uh-huh. it just disoriented me so much. Um, and and because I was doing a lot of internet marketing work at the time, it slowed me down. It made my life difficult. And the other thing was, is again, it, you know, this is only five years ago, but the, the the cloud stuff wasn't as easy then. And so I, I filled up the, I had it partitioned. I went for Parallels and partitioned it, uh, so mm. I could run Windows versions of the software that filled up the Mac drive. I, 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 it wasn't as easy to sort of put Dropbox and things on there and have a virtual drive. So yeah. I, I just didn't get on with it. Now, to be fair to Max, probably these days, if I did it properly, I'd probably be okay, to be honest with you. I get on fine with this virtual Mac. You know, I, I kind of, I know all the little annoyances now, like, you know, you, is it right click you can't do and, and the, yeah. and the app button is in a different place on a Microsoft keyboard. You know, those little annoyances. I know the ways around those now. Um, but it frustrated me and I was just having to do too much work too fast when I had it. So, so I say my wife's got the, she loves it. She's got the fastest Facebook surfing machine on earth. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's all she does with it. Yeah. Mac, Mac certainly makes it easy for the, for the general user, but I think you're you're right. With internet marketing background, uh, you know, and a lot of those softwares were originally, I think, um, or at least a lot of the gurus were using PCs. So I think that was the software that, they were showcasing and uh, yeah i think it's you know it's what you get used to i mean i've been using mac since uh, university days so um i'm 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 used to it and, and when i go back to pcs i find i can sort of find my way around them uh, reasonably easy but uh, yeah i guess as a person preference eh? i think the cloud has changed everything jason that that's the big change in the last 5 years in that, you know in actual fact most of your software isn't isn't downloadable these days most of your software is in the cloud so your experience is consistent between the the different devices um but but also actually i sense that scrivener looks better on a mac actually um it looks like it's more geared to a mac when i see training videos well i think i don't know for certain i might be wrong but i think it was originally um released for the mac first and then i think they did the pc version i could be wrong and perhaps that has something to do with it but you're right i i I try to remain um um os uh, agnostic you know, I've, 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 you know, um, sort of, uh, what's what I'm looking for? I've sort of played around with Linux as well uh, as uh, Windows and, and, and Mac, of course. Um, I like to try and stay agnostic just in case I need to move around um, rather than be tied into to someone. And, of course, with Apple, that's 
sometimes a little difficult because of their walled garden. But uh, you're right. I think it's getting easier nowadays with the cloud. Now, you, you alluded it to, to it a little bit earlier on that you, you like me, have, have, have dabbled with some internet marketing in, in the past. And interestingly, uh, we, we met on uh, an Insta freebie giveaway. So I want to dig into some of the marketing things that you're, that you're doing and, and some of your background in internet marketing. And um, I was quite surprised in our pre-chat that you said, oh, you've, you've come, I think, quite late to getting an email list. Is, is, is that correct? When did you start building that? Yeah, I'm October 18th. I, I set up with ConvertKit and started it. So it's been, is that about six months now, I guess, uh, which is very late. I mean, back in the day, probably five or seven years ago, I think I was, I was playing around with internet marketing and I, and I did have an uh, email list back then as well. So, I mean, I don't know why I didn't think of it now. Um, but I think, you know, I was disenfranchised with internet marketing. Um, I got in maybe at the, the wrong time or perhaps I had the wrong gurus I was chasing. Um, you know, I started making some good money. I had, you know, at one point, a hundred websites or so. Uh, I was blogging like a fiend as well, trying I to remember those days, Jason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know what it's all about. You do, yeah. <laughs> and so I had an email list back then with Aweber. I'm not sure how many people I had at at, at the, the high point. I'm going to say a few thousand, and nothing, nothing near what you had. But um, it was a lot of work uh, for. Again, for whatever reason, Paul, I got into it. I I did the work. I mean, I'm not afraid of hard work. I did the graft, and yet um, I made uh, I made a modest income from internet marketing back in the day um, when people were were making tens of thousands a month. I, I peaked at a you know a couple grand a month, um, and then of course Google changed things with keywords and all that sort of thing, and uh, that was the end of it for me, pretty much. Um, and so I got disillusioned with that. So I um, then decided, you know what, uh, instead of trying to chase, um, you know, the, the dragon, um, I'll just stick with my passion, which is writing and, and see if I can do some more authentic things. Cause you know, in hindsight, perhaps the, at least the internet marketing approach that I was following back then, it wasn't necessarily black hat, but I think maybe there were some gray hat areas to it. And, uh, and so, you know, it it wasn't working. I, I don't think in hindsight it was a long-term sustainable approach. Um, so I, I was a little jaded. So my my marketing nowadays is is just you know upfront, um, legitimate. I I run some Facebook ads uh, for lead gen, and uh, I'm sort of playing around with uh, Amazon um, ads at the moment. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm not making much money at this, so I'm having to be very you know, cautious with my spend as well as being unemployed. So that also prevents as much marketing as I, as, as I could do. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about internet marketing. The, the reason that I came out of it, and, and uh, you know, I did have some success in internet marketing, but what struck me about internet marketing, why I wanted to get out of it, was that I was constantly having to reinvent things. So, you know, I'd create products and they'd be good for five minutes and then I'd have to come up with another one. And I just felt that it, it was going to be a treadmill, that I was going to be constantly, you know, having to come up with the next thing that was going to sell and, and yet with books i mean and you've got an incredible array of books you know you're building assets all the mm-hmm. time there's no sort of sleight of hand with the customers here there's no deception or or, or trickery involved mm-hmm. or over overselling is probably a fairer way to say that um yeah and i was just and it sounds like you know you'll be you'll be singing off the same hymn sheet that i'm just more comfortable selling books that I was selling, you know, internet marketing magic, which is what we were doing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Preach, Paul. Preach. I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on, right? That's exactly what it's about. Um, I think you're, yeah, you, you nailed it. It was, it was a treadmill. I found that as well. And uh, I, I think I also got a little burnt out as well at, at the time. So this is just more organic. It's more authentic. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's true to who I am. And, uh, you know, even though I'm not having the success I'd like at the moment, I'm, you know, see the long, long-term long-term game here and and uh, regardless even if it doesn't turn uh, turn into a long-term or a sustainable full-time income um, it's just something I enjoy so we started chatting uh, you took part in my sci-fi and dystopia uh, giveaway and you were number two on the leaderboard there which was which is a great you know achievement there and then you're currently at the time of recording this um, you are in in fourth place at my crime and thriller giveaway and there's been some real tough competition in that giveaway so although fourth place sounds further down you've sent a lot more unique clicks now you sent uh, 1000 uh, you know at the time of recording this 1348 unique clicks which takes some doing to be honest with you you know there's some you've, there are seven power hitters in this event and and most people are way below you so you're doing pretty well with this what's what's the secret of your success what are you what are you doing um you know it's you know i don't know i I don't have a big following on facebook or twitter um you know so i I tweet on facebook about it but i think the bulk of those are coming from my subscribers list uh, again which i just grew it's just been since october 18th of last year i started that and and i'm up now at around six thousand um you know but again so i i send it to about six thousand people and get you know was a thousand twelve hundred folks uh interested um to me, that's a little disappointing, you know, trying to give away free stuff and you get that kind of return. Um, you know, and as I said, I'm trying to call that list to try and get it down to to folks who are really, you know, interested in, in, in what's going on. As I mentioned, I think there's a bit of freebie fatigue going on as well. Um, incidentally, just a, just a, a note uh, for yourself, if you're interested, I have had a couple of readers say, um, you know, that they they don't really – they're not even downloading free books anymore unless there's a description uh, attached to it because they want to know what it is about. Uh, you know, so I've suggested, well, a lot of these books are on sale for Amazon if you wanted to pop over there to to have a read. But again, that's, a, that's an additional step for readers. So I think maybe in the future it might be beneficial just having the the, the author's offer up a, a sentence or, or two or a short paragraph about the, the book itself just to give readers that little extra because uh, that's something that uh, a couple of folks have, have mentioned to me. You know, I guess they're spoiled now for, you know, for, for choice on free stuff that, you know, if it doesn't come with a description, they're, they're disinclined to click through to, to give it a chance. So um, I think, you know, to answer your question, I think it's primarily just my, my uh, subscriber list. I, um, Again, when I when I go in, I go all in. I have, uh, you know, I've had to set up a variety of sequences, obviously, because I write in a bunch of different genres. So I have about six sequences right now through ConvertKit, um, uh, and and these email sequences, I've written enough emails in them to last, uh, you know, almost two years, a year and a half to two years. <laughs> that's so, amazing congratulations yeah. on that <laughs> yeah thank you it, it took it took a while so i you know i i hammer my list um um you know maybe that's a harsh term but i i sort of involve my list of probably on a on, on a bi-weekly basis um on an ongoing 
process uh, just to keep uh, myself top of mind. Uh, every list, every email that goes out has a an opportunity for them to buy something. I think that's important. Uh, you know, from internet marketing, you'll you, you'll know this. I'm not just sending out an email saying, "Hey, you know, this is something new that's been happening in my life." Um, there's always an opportunity to buy. Um, and then, of course, I send these broadcasts occasionally when I'm in Insta freebies, uh, and I, I'll often try on a monthly basis, you know, discount one of my books to uh, to two ninety nine, um, you know, to to send off as a as a sale to see if I can uh, juice some more sales. And of course, this always gives me an opportunity to call my list as well because every email that gets sent, as you as you probably know, there's always a handful of unsubscribes at least. So. And as internet marketers, you and me, we know, number one, that you need to get people off your list who are just tire-kicking. You know, you, they, they're either going to buy from you and they like you, or they need to get off because you're paying for them. You're paying for the privilege of having moaners and tire-kickers there. And, you know, really, it's about if they resonate with you, they'll stay and, and they'll accept any emails that you send them and appreciate you running a business. But But you need to get rid of them because you're paying for them. And it's pretty expensive, isn't it, as it ramps up? It's very expensive, and I'm on ConvertKit, which is one of the more expensive ones. Um, and I, I, I like it. I, I think it's a good, it's a good program. So I've, I've chosen to be with them, um, regardless of the cost. Uh, and it is, you're right, Paul. It's very expensive. Um, and, and yeah, I'm looking for any opportunities to get rid of people from my list. And, and maybe that sounds harsh, but um, if, if you're going to complain about free stuff, I think readers uh, or just general, uh, as, as we know from being internet marketers, I think generally people don't understand the process of, uh, of an email subscriber list and uh, email marketing service, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think they're aware of the costs involved. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I have some – I have some some difficulties with how a lot of writers are going about uh, their marketing at the moment. Um, you know, there's, there's there's a bunch of people running ads, for example, on their free books, which I think is 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 interesting um, and maybe inappropriate. You know, we're giving away our things for ninety nine cents for novels. We're giving away you know dozens of novels in a package for ninety nine cents, and I think it's devaluing the the work. And the art, if you will, because I, you know, I, I do believe this is an art as well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for folks that basically uh, appreciate um, uh, art and writing and books and novels, um, and and appreciate, uh, you know the effort that goes into it and, and, and are willing to spend around five bucks or so for a novel. Now I don't, I don't expect to have a thousand rabid fans that'll buy everything I write, but um, you know, I, I do certainly look for readers who are, are engaged and are, are willing to spend a little bit of money now and then to support their, their writers that they enjoy. How are you getting on with ConvertKit? Because um, I've used GetResponse for years, and like you as an early internet marketer, I started with Aweber, which is what everybody was recommending, you know, back mm. in the day. Um, so I've used, I stuck with GetResponse, and I and when my GetResponse came up for renewal, I think it must have been before Christmas, I, I took a trial of ConvertKit, and it kept um, flaking on me. It kept going down, and we're having terrible problems with it. So I think I probably hit it at a bad time. I thought, well, well that never happens with GetResponse, so I'm out of here, and I'll come back to it, you know, later. Is it? Is it? Yeah proving less flaky at the moment because email mark is really important you need those emails to go out it has to work and it felt to me like they were getting a lot of users and they weren't scaling it properly at the time yeah i think they had a huge growth there uh, growth spurt um during that time uh, um and when, when, that would have been what maybe a, a couple months ago or so it must have been yeah it must be yeah 
I, th I think you're right, and I'm, I'm not sure. I think they were in the news, or uh, Pat Flynn was, was promoting them or something like that. They've, they've been scaling high, and I think they've had some growing pains. Um, I've always found them great when I've approached them. Support tickets are always answered uh, you know, fairly quickly within a day or so, and, uh, and they're very helpful. Um, uh, you know, they come from an internet marketing background in a sense, the guy does who, who started the business. Um, so they, they're certainly more focused on trying to keep it simple. Uh, and, and, and all my newsletters, well, I shouldn't say all my newsletters, but 90% uh, of my newsletters are just basic uh, text-based. Uh, um, and I think, yeah, I haven't had the, I haven't had the same problems. I, I know that on, on occasion, um, you know, a broadcast has been delayed you know, by 5, 10, 15 minutes, but I haven't had uh, any issues with, with getting in and having my my newsletters not, not delivered. And, of course, I've set myself up um, on my own newsletter just to sort of uh, test that to see that I'm, uh, that I'm certainly getting all my newsletters delivered to myself at least, and hopefully that would suggest the same for, for everyone else on my subscriber list. So I haven't had... The, the big problems that they've had, you might have just had, hit them at the wrong time. I'm not sure how their prices compare to GetResponse, um, but, yeah, I, I'd recommend them. I'm, I've been happy so far. Well, I thought it was lovely from a marketing point of view. I thought it was beautiful. The the tagging and, the you know, the sequencing I thought was just beautiful. Um, but I, I must have hit it at a bad time, and I thought, right, okay, I'm not doing this now. So I, I mm. will be reviewing it when my get response comes up for renewal again, I'll be taking a fresh look at it. So I was just interested to hear how you were getting on with it. And and if you're using Insta Freebie, then Insta Freebie uh, connects to MailChimp. How are you taking your leads out of Insta Freebie? Are you manually transferring them or using Zapier? Yeah, no, I am. I'm, I'm manually, uh, <clears throat> I'm manually doing it. I've, I've uh, again, Zapier is another, you know, software as a service, right? Uh, especially I think for ConvertKit, I think you have to pay in order to get that arrangement, I think. Yeah. You do, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've just been doing it manually. As I said, Paul, I'm, I'm really on a, on a tight budget here. I'm, I'm practically breaking even. Uh, and as I said, I've been unemployed. I really am to wash my penny. So I'm trying to do everything uh, within my power of my, you know, my, my small amount of coppers to, to get going. So yeah, I, I do it. I do it once a month. Um, I mean, sorry, not once a month, once a week. I do it on Friday evenings. I just did it last night. Uh, brought in a whole bunch uh, from this Insta Freebie push that we've been on, which has been terrific. As I said, that's why I think I know I've been over 500 or so, so far. Uh, so, so I do it once a month. And for me, I mean, excuse me, once a week. And for me, it's a bit of a pain in, pain in the ass because I have, you know, these six sequences and I have, you know, six books, I think, or eight or nine books that I'm giving away for free um, in, you know, five or six different genres. Um, so I'm having to you know, do a lot of legwork in, uh, uh, you know, sort of copy and pasting from the, from the one Insta freebie list into uh, secondary um, um, spreadsheets for each specific sequence. Um, because obviously people who are grabbing my mysteries, for example, uh, go into a different sequence than those that are grabbing my vampire or my sci-fi or my literary novel, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I do it, I do it by longhand, and it's a bit of, bit of a work at the moment. Yeah, I was just checking while you were talking there to see whether ConvertKit is paid because um, Zapier makes uh, makes you pay for some of them, but it doesn't yeah. make you pay for all of them. You can actually um, use it free for a lot of things. 
Um, but, but I, I use to get response. So you see, I use the automation with Zapier. I do have to pay for get response, but uh, it's worth just checking whether you have to pay for convert kit. I bet, I bet you do, <laughs> but, uh, uh, it is yeah. just worth checking because it makes, um, it makes it a lot easier, you know, that, that manual transfer. Because the, the other difficulty with manual transfer, of course, is if they sort of decide that they want to unsubscribe in the meantime, you, you can then get that slight overlap, can't you? And that's what always worries me about whether somebody's, you know, unsubscribe maybe in the meantime from MailChimp and then you've moved them over and I always worry a little bit about that yeah except you know um, I'm not I'm not uh, attached to MailChimp so they they haven't unsubscribed from anywhere yet right they've just basically received the free book and haven't received any emails yet so um, you know not being on MailChimp I'm they're just sort of sitting in a spreadsheet uh, and they've just gotten uh, what is it one or two emails from um, InstaFreebie about the book um, and then and then I put them on and then you know yeah of course and part of the process is not being current you know there's, there's sometimes a weak lag because I'm only uploading these um, e- email addresses uh, on a weekly basis you know there's a weak lag and sometimes people just get uh, upset or they forget and you know after a week and they they got their book and they just bail on you because maybe they had a chance to read it so but I think that's a problem that would happen anyway. Absolutely. So um, I know that when we were chatting beforehand, I think you and I feel the same about uh, InstaFreebie. My feeling is that it's wonderful, but that actually it is limited and, and it's not something that you could do forever. And I've spoken to a couple of other authors who feel the same way. Do, do, do you think kind of you kind of need to use it and then and then leave and move on to something different? Well, I think, yeah, I think what happens, you know, as I keep talking about this freebie fatigue, I think people experience um and not even that so much, but I think, you know, InstaFreebie also only has a limited number of uh, readers on there or, or subscribers. Uh, and I certainly have noticed that in the past six months that, you know, you know, the InstaFreebie pushes I've been doing have been less effective over time. Um, you know, this one is an exception. This one is doing uh, quite well considering the last few I've been on. Um, but, you know, since, you know, one, a couple of the first InstaFreebie pushes I did, I got, you know, five, six hundred subscribers uh, quite easily um, and, and then they've been diminishing to one to 200 at the most uh, so I think there is a I think there's I think folks are getting in day with free books we're, we're all on the bandwagon now um, and I th- yeah I think there's something to be said for stepping away from it for a couple of three months and that's what I'm going to be doing after this push with you Paul and then we'll see how it goes. Um, I'll keep my membership, of course, because, you know, I still get the uh, straggler, you know, couple couple few uh, email addresses just uh, organically from InstaFreebie every day. But um, I'll step away and sort of see how it goes. I also have to manage this list and see how it, how it works because, uh, you know, I try to figure out, um, you know, the, the – um, the, the profit of a subscriber, if you can, just very loosely. And, uh, um, you know, at around 6,000 subscribers now, I'm going to say, um, yeah, maybe what would it be about five cents a subscriber I'm, I'm getting, I guess, uh, on a monthly basis. So it's not, uh, it's not lucrative at all at the moment anyway. Yeah you, yeah, you have to watch those things all the time, don't you? Um, mm-hmm. So... Um, you're having a rest from 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 Instafreebo. You're planning a rest from Instafreebo. Uh, thank you very much for taking part in my two giveaways, by the way, because you've brought lots to both of those, and I and I appreciate that. So thank you for that. What, what's next on your sort of writing agenda? What are you working on next, and what's your next plan? 
Yeah, thanks very much, Paul. It's kind of you to say, and uh, you know, just to give you some kudos, uh, you run. Uh, I'm going to say so that from the pushes I've been on, you run the best uh, InstaPB pushes I've been on, and uh, I greatly appreciate that. I'll always be happy to uh, be involved uh, with yours at at, at any time. Um, obviously, once I've just taken a couple three months break, but uh, certainly be looking out for yours because they have been. Uh, very well run, um, and uh, you know you're you're very generous with offering a low price to the authors too, which I think is uh, un, you know unnecessary, but greatly appreciated. So thanks for that. Well, shall I um, let you into a secret? There is a former internet marketer because you might know about this. Do you remember? Um, I, I got my first list of a thousand at internet marketing doing joint venture giveaways. Have you ever heard of those in your internet marketing career? Yes, 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 I did. And I think we, we're trying to do that now, aren't we, with yeah. the newsletter swaps and stuff. I yeah. haven't tried newsletter swaps. Maybe that's something I should give a, give a try. Well, that's why I jumped on board with the giveaways, because when I, when I saw them, I thought, Joy, that's exactly what I was doing when I was internet marketing. And that's actually how I started get, going in internet marketing. Uh, I got my first sort of 5,000 subscribers. And, and, I, and that's when I started making my first money in internet marketing. So um, the reason that I jumped into to host the giveaways is because it's just what I was doing before. And 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 I saw that sort of people were doing them, but they weren't doing them the same way as we used to do them in internet marketing. So I thought we could bring a few sort of principles. And one of the th- things I was experimenting with is, you know, um, I, I, did you ever take part in any when, when, when you were internet marketing? No, I didn't. I didn't have at that time. I didn't have any products uh, available, no. Oh, well, I, I did a lot of them and, um, they used to work, you know, they said they used to work uh, brilliantly. It was the first money I ever made in, in internet marketing. And, um, and I was just uh, thinking of bringing some of the principles over from internet marketing because, you know, one of the other things I've done as a host, and, um, if you've done internet marketing, you, you're probably okay with the kind of techie things with it. One of the things that I've done with it is I've put the Facebook tracking pixel, you know, on, on my site. And I've got, uh-huh. and do you know how many leads I've got off that from two giveaways uh, for the tracking no. pixel? 7,700 from that. Um, just, just for you personally, eh? Just put the tracking pixel on that, which I can build a lookalike audience from. So th- that, th- that's why I'm doing the, I'm hosting the giveaways because I'm sort of applying the kind of internet marketing ninja tactics to it and, and, yeah. and seeing how it works out. Now, you can't sniff at 7,700, can you, as a Facebook targeted audience? I'm quite pleased with that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's genius. That's genius. So uh, I think it's very smart, Paul, for sure. Yeah, I just haven't got around to it or been, I guess, uh, inclined to, to, to do it, I, I guess. But that's, that's smart. It makes a lot of sense now why you would want to host these things for sure. And that's, that's, uh, that's good to know. Thanks. It's time to dust off some of your old skills, Jason, with internet marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be. It might be. I, I apologize. I, I, I prevented you from answering the question that I'd asked, which is what, you know, what's coming next for you in your, in your writing career. No, thanks, Paul. I'm always I'm always interested in learning as well, and uh, you know, in, in dialogue. And uh, I appreciate those tidbits. It sounds terrific. Perhaps we can do a newsletter swap as well at some point. Uh, as, as you know, far as um, my writing in 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 the interim, um, you know, I sort of uh, somehow got uh, you know Lady Marmalade ahead of Anthony Carrick. So I'm just going to be releasing the seventh Lady Marmalade uh, novel length mystery uh, probably in the next couple of months. It's currently at my editor at the moment, um, and and I've just started writing the fifth Anthony Carrick novel length uh, mystery. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to be writing back to back the fifth, sixth, and seventh Anthony Carrick um, 
mysteries just to get them you know the series sort of up to par and then i'll sort of switch over back and forth uh, currently it seems that lady marmalade is just a, a hair more popular i think than anthony carrick but i want to have him sort of at a similar level to give them a, a better chance at really getting an idea of where um you know the sales are at uh, and then at that point too i'll be able to put up a second box set of uh, of both of them anthony carrick and lady marmalade so that's what i'll be focused on probably that could probably see me through to the rest of the year. And then I'll probably, uh, after that point, maybe write the eighth Lady Marmalade and then get back to a literary or a sci-fi novel and then alternate uh, on, on a go-forward basis. And then in terms of uh, your web presence, um, I, I always talk to people who've got a decent web presence. Where are the best places to go to find out more about you and your writing? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, JasonBlacker.com obviously is, is uh, my my main website, which has all the information on my uh, books primarily. I think, you know, in the about page there, it also lists my haiku uh, website, uh, which is where I write a a daily poem um, just for the public uh, every day, mostly haikus. Um, Just about every day, I'd probably say 90 days out of 100, I'm I'm able to get to it. Um, And haiku is, uh, a haiku is a Japanese poem, of course, uh, five, seven, five syllables and three lines. And um, but uh, but haiku.com was taken, obviously. So I came up with haiku, which is sort of haikus in a queue. Um, and so it's H-A-I-Q-U-E-U-E dot com where you can find my haikus. And again, that'll list back to my uh, jasonblacker.com website. I like to keep them both attached to each other so folks know where I am. And then, of course, you know, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.